Don't we have enough wars already? Soldiers of fortune, really? I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. What's going on? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working, means synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through. Prosperity for the few, the rights of U.S. corporations to extract from the land of Central America and exploit the people of Central America. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. People don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Back in 1961, outgoing President Dwight Eisenhower issued his famous, now timeless, warning about the dangers of what he called the military-industrial complex. Now, since that time, the flow of profits to be reaped from their truly unique line of work have remained remarkably dependable, remarkably profitable. America and other powerful countries have huge militaries and stratospheric budgets for wars. But even that isn't enough, apparently. We know that powerful, highly funded political forces on the right have long insisted that the private sector can do everything better. I guess that means winning and fighting wars too, or at least killing more people more efficiently. As we know from basic economics, wherever there's a substantial money to be made, where there's a demand, there will be a supply. That's, that's just how it works. No matter what the enterprise is, one traditional flow of illicit money applies to both the world of organized crime and to mercenaries, soldiers of fortune. It seems, again, as long as there are powers determined to overpower others, for the sake of money and big profit, chances are there will be a receptive group of men eager to take the money, go for the gold, go for the macho glory as mercenaries, uh, the romance of being a soldier of fortune. Never applied to me, quite frankly, but to others. The illicit transaction between those hungry for power and those all too willing to sign up to fight these wars and to do the killing goes back a very long way. It's nothing new, and it continues to this day, though it remains largely invisible, as always, as it has to. One can ask what official state-directed wars really accomplish, and the hidden reality of what these privatized wars are even more obtuse. Maybe, just maybe, they can demonstrate that they are actually more productive than official wars. In his new essay on the History News Network, Dr. Lawrence Witter, Whitner introduces the reader to a current shadowy example of what we're talking about, something I'd never heard of called the Wagner Group. It looks like Wagner, but you'll see why it's Wagner. His article is titled, The Wagner Group is Just the Latest Example of Privatized War. I sure as heck never heard of them. Dr. Whitner is a returning guest, a professor of history emeritus at SUNY Albany, and author of Confronting the Bomb. Well, thank you for uh, being back with us uh, on Keeping Democracy Alive, Dr. Whitner. Um, thank you, Bert. Well, I will say that after so many millennia where foreign policy is conducted by thrusting lead into the flesh of other people, one might think maybe 
in the 21st century, there's a better way to accomplish these foreign policy goals. Now, I do love learning from little-known history, and your essay mentions professional soldiers hired to fight wars for European potentates in the 14th century, like 600, 700 years ago. Sounds like an interesting story, a good introduction. Just a brief background on the mercenaries that there have been in the distant past of Western history. Well, uh, we're mostly uh, familiar uh, with the mercenaries in Europe from uh, medieval times through the 18th century. But uh, mercenaries were also common in uh, 7th uh, century China, 16th century Japan, early India, uh, and 19th century uh, Latin America. In ancient Egypt in the uh, 13th century BC, uh, Pharaoh uh, Ramses the the second employed 11,000 mercenaries in in his uh, glorious battles. Uh, they've also been uh, widely employed in modern Africa. Uh, for example, during the uh, Congo uh, crisis of 1960 uh, to 1965. Uh, so, uh, mercenary operations are, are certainly uh, nothing new. Uh, but I think we. We've uh, forgotten that they they uh, continue uh, today. Yeah, interesting, and I think you know those of us who you know aren't uh, history fanatics would would try to assume. I think would tend to assume that people go to these wars to fight for their country, to fight for a cause. Uh, but mercenaries are something else. Uh, they they it's not the cause necessarily, unless you want to consider making money a cause and, uh, you know, having some kind of bizarre fun at being a soldier of fortune. That's that's the motivation. In the past, you know, in the American War of Independence, uh, warriors from other nations were sought on both sides. Were, were there mercenaries there? Were they doing it out of uh, idealism? And who, tell us about the Hessians. What was their interest? What was their role in the American War of Independence? Well, uh, the um, uh, American Revolution certainly uh, stirred up uh, uh, volunteers and, and, and fighters uh, on both sides. Uh, there are examples of, of individuals who fought on the revolutionary side, such as uh, Lafayette, uh, and there also, uh, or there were also uh, those uh, substantial numbers of, of uh, troops uh, taken from uh, or, or, or uh, dispatched from uh, German uh, principalities, uh, since modern Germany didn't exist then. Um, but these the, these troops were uh, dispatched to the United States in the the thousands. And were often called uh, Hessians, although they didn't necessarily all come from from uh, Hesse. Uh, and um, uh, they aren't quite uh, well. They don't quite fit our definition of uh, mercenaries in that um, uh, they were actually uh, regular army uh, troops from these uh, German uh, principalities that were sent um, to. Um, you know, by their their uh, rulers in those countries or those countries, uh, and they would uh, uh, fight on the British side uh, against the U.S. revolutionaries. So they weren't there uh, to make their fortunes; they were simply hired out uh, by their government oh. in, in that case. But they were they were widely viewed as mercenaries, and 
and uh, condemned as such uh, by the uh, American colonists. So could it be the case that, that the, uh, the rulers of those principalities in uh, pre-Germany Germany had something they had something to gain themselves maybe they were interested oh, absolutely <laughs> they were profiting from it uh, but not the individual soldiers right. so these soldiers weren't necessarily uh, soldiers of, of, of fortune on an individual basis which is usually um, what what uh, modern mercenaries are modern mercenaries usually are there uh, for fortune for the, for the gold uh, so it's, oh absolutely so it seems and there have been cases in in various different wars where it's not it's not mercenaries it's not soldiers of fortune there are volunteers who actually are motivated by idealistic principles i think of the uh, lafayette escadrille you mentioned lafayette the lafayette escadrille pilots who fought on the uh, allied side in the first world war they're much appreciated in, in uh, France and Belgium these days. Uh, and then, of course, the Flying Tigers, which were three fighter squadrons of around 30 aircraft each. They trained in Burma before the official American entry into the Second World War without legal authority defended the Republic of China against Japanese forces. And I don't know if, if they were... Uh, mercenaries, or, or tell us about the, the Flying Tigers. I mean, I've heard a little bit about them, but were they? How did they get to be there, and what, what the heck motivated them? Any clues? Well, uh, it, uh, uh, during the the period of U.S. Uh, neutrality during the early um, uh, European phase of the uh, Second World War, uh, oh, and and um, in the the Asian. Uh, 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 theater of the Second World War. Right. Uh, the the uh, flying tigers were uh, put together by uh, Claire Chenault, ah, yes. um, and um, uh, he got a green light basically uh, from from American uh, President Roosevelt, uh, who on the one hand didn't officially uh, want to to uh, violate uh, U.S. Mm -hmm. neutrality status uh, before December 1941. Uh, in the the conflict, uh, but did want to to help the the uh, embattled uh, Chinese uh, head off the uh, Japanese invaders. Uh, consequently, he um, uh, allowed uh, the recruitment of U.S. Air Force pilots uh, for this uh, private uh, fighting force. Wow. Um, they had some aspects of mercenaries, as their pay in the uh, Flying Tigers uh, was much higher than their pay in the U.S. Air Force at, yeah. at the time. Nonetheless, they were uh, volunteers. They were uh, clearly idealists at, at, at the same time. So I guess we could say they they um, uh, skirted on the, mm -hmm. the uh, border of, of uh, mercenary status, but they weren't necessarily uh, primarily driven by the higher pay they would get in the Flying Tigers. And, of course, there was the Spanish Civil War, 1936 through 39, where there were uh, people from all across the world on both sides, on the side defending the Republic of Spain. On the other side, there were soldiers uh, on, working on behalf of, of Mussolini and Hitler in the Spanish Civil War. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if, I mean, I know that the uh, American volunteers in the international brigades did fight uh, 
for the republic against fascism. They could see fascism mm-hmm. coming. But what, what about, I mean, they were not soldiers of fortune. I mean, they, they had it rough, I must say, and it was very, very idealistic. But I wonder if uh, on the other side, if, I mean, did the, it's entirely possible that uh, the dictators Mussolini and Hitler in 1936 through 39 were just, you know, kind of using these guys and maybe made them go there. I, I, do you know anything about that? Were there mercenaries on behalf of uh, fascist Italy and Germany? Uh, no, no, they were regular armed forces uh-huh. uh, that were used. Uh, they were regular troops of of uh, Hitler's and uh, Mussolini's uh, regimes. Uh, and uh, of course, the the uh, Spanish Civil War was also a uh, civil war in which there was a yeah. uh, left right uh, division in 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 Spain yes. uh, among Spaniards. Um, and and um, uh, the right wing had uh, command of the official armed armed forces. They had uh, had uh, revolted against the, the uh, Spanish Republic, yes. uh, and they used uh, the Moors, uh, North African uh, uh, colonial troops, uh, against the Republic on the, on the side of uh, Franco and the, the uh, fascists. But the, the uh, volunteers uh, who fought for the Republic uh, were just that, uh, yeah. volunteers. They were not mercenaries. Yeah. And, and indeed, they defied their governments, I mean, individually, Yes. To to Spain and often uh, laid down their lives there. Many of them died yes. there. Yes. Uh, they were not driven by uh, mercenary or or uh, financial uh, considerations. Yeah, that's for sure. They took a great hit. And if people ha- are not familiar with the Spanish Civil War, I am pretty familiar with it. I actually knew some of the uh, uh, men and women, black and white, who fought against the fascists. They're all deceased now. It was uh, 1936 right. to 39. But I encourage people. To read about that, and you mentioned the Moors, yeah. What I I I've read a little bit about the the use of the Moors uh, from Africa by you know because it's part of the Spanish territory. Uh, right. They, they did some brutal stuff. I mean, they were really yikes. Uh, I don't know if that was mercenary or just you know they were having fun there uh, and just doing some major. <laughs> quite frankly, raping and killing of, of, of people. Uh, the Moors did some major damage there. Uh, but uh, that was part of the war in the Spanish Civil War. What, what about the Moors? Were they just ordered by uh, uh, Franco to, to go there? Do you know? Uh, well, they were, they were, they were the uh, Spanish Foreign Legion. They, uh, they were uh, commanded by uh, Spanish officers. Uh, they were, they were uh, therefore, uh, part of the uh, official... Uh, colonial apparatus of of, of Spain, uh, and, and uh, they could be used and were used by the the uh, reactionary officers in the armed forces that had, that had first uh, tried to to uh, bring the uh, republic down. And when that failed, uh, they they got help from from Hitler and Mussolini uh, from their armed forces, and they also uh, brought in the Moors from uh, North Africa. Where there were simply uh, colonial troops, right? No, oh, it did get ugly. We're talking about wars here and leading up to uh, mercenaries, soldiers of fortune. You might think that this is something in the past, but uh, stick with us, dear listener, and you will hear it's going on now. Bert Cohen here. The show is keeping democracy alive, and our guest today is Dr. Lawrence Whitner, and we're talking about. Uh, something he introduced us to on the 
History News Network, the Wagner Group, just the latest example of a privatized war. Now, leading up to uh, the fun and adventure of fighting in a foreign war, of course, we all remember, unfortunately, 9-11. That served as a powerful recruiting tool in what became known as the War on Terror. Tell us, please, about the role of an entity then known as Blackwater. It was a long time ago. What activities were they involved in that, that, that garnered them some notoriety? Blackwater. Were they, were they well, uh, mercenaries? Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, founded in the uh, 1990s, uh, Blackwater was a, a, a private uh, security firm, as it, it uh, built itself, uh, employed by the U.S. government in the war on terror in Afghanistan, Iraq, and, and, and elsewhere. Uh, it uh, drew on uh, large numbers of heavily armed men, hired them uh, to guard uh, CIA and uh, U.S. officials, uh, track down uh, alleged uh, terrorists, and, and, and so on. Uh, in short, do a, a, a significant part uh, and an outsourced part of the, uh, the war on terror. Uh, in Iraq, uh, particularly, uh, they became uh, notorious for uh, massacring uh, civilians at uh, Nassour uh, Square, uh, at a, a Baghdad uh, traffic circle. They killed uh, 17 Iraqi uh, civilians and injured uh, 20 more. Uh, although four of the murderers were uh, convicted, uh, President Donald, uh, President uh, Donald Trump uh, pardoned them all uh, in, in uh, 2020. Um, so they were uh, very active. Thousands of them were, were involved in the uh, Middle East, uh, particularly uh, Iraq, uh, as well as in Afghanistan and and, and hmm. elsewhere. Now, what what about this private security firms? Is is that stuff legal? How how does that uh, fit under uh, the law? These private security firms. Well, uh, it uh, it depends on who's enforcing the law and what the laws are. Uh, the U.S. government has not. Uh, uh, viewed Blackwater and its its uh, successor, or at least the name has, has been changed uh, yeah. since that time. Uh, it, it has not uh, viewed this kind of operation as uh, violating uh, U.S. laws. Huh. They, they view them just as uh, security guards in buildings and, and so on, uh, private security guards rather than than uh, municipal or or state and uh, federal. But it, in fact, of course. Um, this this uh, security firm is is uh, providing armed men with with uh, helicopters and and other uh, weapons of war uh, for a a, a profit making uh, corporation. So um, uh, its its existence is uh, questionable uh, legally and morally. Uh, but they've done very well for themselves. They've they've, they've gotten huge contracts from the U.S. government. And they certainly did in the war on on, on terror. This was very uh, profitable uh, for Blackwater. Fascinating. So it's 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 sort of in a uh, phantom area. That's it's they, they can be uh, their security firm, but wow, the the there's no my sense is there's no hard border between security firm and 
uh, a war machine, you know. Make, That's right. Making a war. And, and I think about, of course, uh, you know, we Americans love our mafia-type movies and the various different security forces for the uh, uh, businesses, shall we say, that the, uh, uh, you know, organized crime world has had. They're, they're, they have some uh, security forces as well. And I, I can't help but think that there's some uh, flexibility that, that, you know, some of these uh, soldiers, these security people sort of switch between, uh, you know, maybe uh, military uh, security firms, corporate security firms, and the, the organized crime world. Uh, there's, you know, money to be made there. And if you're good with a gun, hey, what the heck? <laughs> Do what your skills, uh, you know, dictate to you. And since Blackwater during during the uh, the war in Iraq, how did Blackwater's efforts affect what America was hoping to achieve? They were operating under the radar. I, I can't help but think that their goal was to achieve some sort of goals in America's interest. But how how did they uh, how did their efforts affect what America was hoping to achieve in Iraq? Well, um, they certainly did. Did manage to uh, provide um, uh, military uh, muscle uh, for the U.S. government. Uh, uh, they 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 added uh, military strength to to uh, U.S. Uh, forces in Iraq. They helped to uh, convince the U.S. public uh. that uh, you know uh, the U.S. armed forces weren't doing some of these horrible things, uh, or they they could hide some of the horrible things uh, from the 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 uh, public. Since um, uh, this this private firm wasn't uh, accountable uh, right. to the voters uh, in the way the U.S. government is or is uh, supposed to be, um, but um, uh, ultimately it, it uh, boomeranged. I right. think, uh, like other crimes uh, committed uh, by U.S. military forces in uh, Iraq, and of course we remember the the uh, torture at Abu Ghraib and, yes. and so on. Uh, Blackwater's uh, made the U.S. Uh, very unpopular in that in, in that country. That uh, massacre that I mentioned, for example, uh, became well known, and uh, apparently uh, contributed uh, to the Iraqi government's demand um, uh, that the U.S. occupation of Iraq be ended. That is the the uh, uh, viciousness Blackwater uh, displayed, lack of uh, concern for uh, civilian life. Uh, I meant that the Iraqi government finally uh, responded to to uh, popular demand and and uh, said the U.S. government had to get out, which it finally did. Yes, it it finally did, and you know I do find it amazing. There's there's a tremendous amount of money involved here, as there always is with military operations, and the stated goals of the war on terror was to you know, beat back uh, the terrorists and and protect Americans and Western Europeans from attacks by these uh, radical uh, Muslim uh, terrorists. And I can't help but think that they accomplished exactly the opposite. I mean, what could be a better recruiting tool <laughs> than having a foreign country come in you know, and illegally, you know, do these massacres. Uh, how, how did this, in, in the bigger picture, 
how was the uh, war on terror, so-called, uh, affected by things like Blackwater? Well, I think it was ultimately undermined by it. Uh, I think that the the uh, Iraqi uh, public and uh, public of right. other uh, nations where they saw Blackwater's operation was so uh, repulsed by it that in the end it, it uh, boomeranged uh, and yeah. uh, uh, the the uh, demand became uh, not that that uh, terrorism end or uh, radical Islam be be uh, subdued, but rather that the Americans should go home, yeah. and uh, that's ultimately uh, what happened. Uh, yeah, well, there's that uh, odd term, military intelligence. What can I tell? Right, right. <laughs> We've right. seen it. Actually, it's a, a, a parallel, I guess, to the uh, the Russian. Um, uh, demand that um, uh, you know uh, NATO stop encroaching on what it viewed as its uh, sphere of influence. Uh, the, the the invasion of uh, Ukraine uh, certainly boomeranged on that basis, yeah. uh, because other nations like like uh, Finland and uh, Sweden immediately applied uh, for NATO membership. So uh, you know sometimes uh, military aggression uh, uh, backfires. <laughs> You think? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I suppose every now and then it works. It worked in the Second World War and a few other places, but, boy, right. it does seem to backfire quite a bit and just, you know, only only make things worse. That That's for sure. You know, when you stir people up, when you get the public angry, I mean, who wants to be invaded militarily by another country? Uh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, uh, it doesn't work that way. All right, the Wagner Group. You say the Wagner Group is just the latest example of privatized war. Now, I have certainly never heard of them. I doubt anyone listening has ever heard of them. Who are they? What is their generous, genesis, rather? And what's their relation to the Russian government in 2022? And what about their name? Oh well, um, the the uh, Wagner Group or Wagner Group uh, uh, is a, a shadowy uh, Russian uh, company, uh, private firm, engaged in the uh, thriving mercenary business. It's a um, a, a company that, that rents out uh, troops, much like uh, Blackwater, uh, and it's uh, perhaps the leading uh, private enterprise partner in uh, global uh, military ventures today. Wow. Uh, it, it employs as many as uh, 10,000 military uh, personnel. Uh, it's, it's headquartered in the Russian town of Malkino, uh, right beside a military base run by the GRU, which is Russia's military intelligence agency. Uh -huh. uh, it relies heavily on the Russian government's approval. That is, if, if the Russian government didn't want it there, uh, uh, you know, utilizing Russian weapons and... Uh, uh, on, on Russian territory, uh, and wouldn't be operating there. Uh, and it, 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 it draws on the, uh, Russian government's military infrastructure, like, uh, helicopters and, and flights and medical services and so on for its, uh, far flung operations. Um, uh, you mentioned that, um, uh, the, um, uh, well, it, it, it was, um, uh, reportedly founded in uh, 2014 by uh, Dmitry Utkin, who was a, a Russian uh, military veteran, 
although he's he sort of uh, disappeared in terms of its uh, more recent operations. Um, and uh, it was uh, named the, the Wagner Group, uh, reportedly, uh, because Utkin's um, uh, uh, favorite, um, uh, well, he, he, he admired uh, Hitler, uh, as Utkin did, and uh, uh, Hitler's favorite uh, composer was uh, Richard Wagner, mm-hmm. the uh, German uh, uh, composer. And uh, so uh, when Utkin turned for name, turned to finding a name, uh, he named it the Wagner Group. Oh, how lovely. And, you know, I, as one sees these unbelievable pictures from Ukraine, I mean, I saw something this morning of a, a two-year-old girl, sorry, walking down the street, and then just a few minutes later, she was killed. She was killed by Russian, I guess, artillery. I don't know. But why do they, I mean, with all this incredible artillery and unbelievable, you know, assaults specifically on civilians, what what unfilled role is the Wagner Group filling that that the uh, Russian army or, you know, whatever their military is, is not doing? Why are they needed there? Right, right. Well, um, the uh, one of the first ventures of the uh, Wagner Group was, of course, to to uh, enter uh, Ukraine. Uh, about a thousand uh, armed armed men in the uh, Wagner Group uh, were dispatched to um, um, uh, to the uh, Luhansk and uh, Donetsk uh-huh. region the uh, Donbass, and uh, at, a, at a time when there was um, a revolt, a separatist uh, right. outbreak in that region, uh, and they, they uh, provided muscle, uh, military muscle, for the uh, separatists. Uh, the Russian government denied that it, uh. Uh, the Russian government, was intervening, but they could use uh, these these uh, uh, troops that, that suddenly appeared. Uh, they didn't have, have uh, Russian uniforms on, although uh-huh. they had uniforms. Uh, and they were, you know, uh, sent by this uh, covert agency, uh, the Wagner Group. Um, and uh, sometimes they were referred to as little green men who uh, suddenly appeared there <laughs> and were suddenly uh, fighting against the the uh, Ukrainian armed armed forces that were uh, trying to uh, settle things down and uh, retake control of this Donbass region from these uh, separatists. So uh, uh, the Russian government found um, this this uh, private uh, security firm uh, very useful in escaping uh, responsibility uh, for what was uh, really uh, Russian intervention in uh, Ukrainian affairs and a a uh, violation of Ukraine's sovereignty. Ah, good old plausible deniability. I, I, I can pick... Right, right. <laughs> little green men. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. It's not us. It's, it's these little right. green men that <laughs> are doing it. We don't know anything about them. Oh, my goodness. Uh, if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is uh, Dr. Lawrence Whitner, uh, professor of history emeritus at SUNY Albany. It's written about the Wagner Group as just the latest example of a privatized war. I got to stop for a minute and f- ask, 
how the heck did you find out about these guys? What what led you to investigate this? Oh, well, uh, there have been occasional uh, news stories. Uh, uh, the New York Times back in uh, May of, uh, of this year had, had a, a remarkable piece on uh, Wagner Group activities in Africa. And they discussed the background of the group as well as their investigation uh, of what happened in Mali. Uh, and uh, the 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 uh, Wagner group it revealed uh, had done terrible things there, and they also discussed uh, how it had gotten started. And so I filed that uh, story away, thinking that was rather uh, dramatic. I, mm-hmm. I hadn't known of this. Uh, and then when I began to explore this on the internet, uh, I found there were other other uh, news stories on the Wagner group. Uh, NPR had a, a, a full-length story on it. Uh, a number of other uh, credible sources did, too. Uh, just recently, at, at about the time I um, uh, published my piece uh, via the uh, History News Network, uh, uh, the Daily Beast, which is a, um, a uh, major uh, publication in, sure. in, in the United States, um, had a, a, um, a full-length story on the uh, kidnapping and rape of um, uh, teenage girls uh, by the Wagner Group mm. in uh, uh, in the uh, Central African uh, Republic, and uh, finally how they escaped uh, this this uh, terror group in their their uh, country. So the more I dug in, uh, the more I found. So it, it, it's not uh, totally invisible, right. but you have to look carefully to 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 find articles on it. And of course, the the uh, company uh, tries to deny its existence. Uh it, it was it was founded by by this 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 fellow uh, uh Prigozhin, uh, Yevgeny uh, Prigozhin, um who's a Russian oligarch uh with with uh, close ties to uh, President Vladimir Putin, and he's denied its existence. He says it's uh it's a legend. <laughs> But it's no legend, it, it, it seems. Uh, the word has been getting out. It's been exposed by uh, Human Rights Watch and, and, and others um, investigating uh, uh, crimes against human rights. Well, Putin does seem to have no problem with violating human rights. Uh, yes. Interesting that uh, I imagine if someone were to ask Putin about uh, the Wagner group, he'd say, what? Never heard of him. Of course, possible deniability. And the, as you mentioned, the Donbass region and other areas of Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine, if you look at history, they've flipped back and forth all over the place throughout the 20th century. I mean, Poland, Russia, Galicia, oh, it's just, but Ukraine is there now. They are a nationality. And in 2014, which seems like a long time ago, uh, there was... The, the Russians were involved then as well, and seems like, you know, trying to grab some of the territory that, like the Donbass, people may have spoken mostly the Russian language, and language is a big deal in these uh, countries. So tell us about the financial interests that may have been at work, you know, trying to lure these Russian young men to the to the Wagner group. Why would, why would these financial interests, I mean, how... How are they going to make money, or what? What was their interest in, uh, you know, in in paying these soldiers a fortune? 
Well, uh, they in turn got got very good uh, contracts uh, from the Russian government uh, for going into uh, Ukraine, uh, and in in other places uh, such as as, as Africa, mm-hmm. um, where they were hired. That is, uh, the Wagner Group um, forces were were hired for uh, military operations uh, by local. Uh, uh, despots or others barely uh, clinging to, to power, uh, military hunters, and, and so on, they would be uh, paid off in, in uh, uh, concessions on, on, on diamond mines and, uh-huh. and gold mines and other, other uh, lucrative uh, resources. So it, it's very uh, profitable uh, for this fellow, uh, Prigogine, uh, who, who, by the way, I should add, uh, is... Um, uh, in, or was indicted uh, for his, uh, by the U.S. government for his, his role in uh, trying to uh, subvert the uh, 2016 uh, uh, U.S. election uh-huh. campaign. That he was very much <laughs> in, involved in uh, those trolls, uh, Russian trolls and others, who were working on uh, uh, supporting Donald Trump. Oh, my goodness. Well, they... They do love power, and I'm trying to imagine right. what, what kind of a yacht this guy would have. Uh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely amazing. You know, going from a, a Soviet anti-capitalist uh, government to, to just rapacious uh, capitalism without any kind of controls whatsoever. And, and you say that, and I would definitely want to get into that to the African stuff as well as Syria. Yes. You say the outsourcing of a military project to the Wagner Group provided two major advantages mm-hmm. to the Russian government. Tell us about those, please. Right. Well, uh, the the first was uh, deniability that right. uh, the Russian government could say it was not uh, responsible for it, and and so on, and therefore it wasn't violating international law by invading Ukraine or by uh, uh, getting in, in, involved in, in uh, Syria and a whole range of other things. Um, uh, furthermore, um, the, it could, um, well, it, it, any, any harm that, that came to these uh, Wagner Group uh, troops um, um, uh. could be avoided, or the, the uh, responsibility for the, for the damage to, to uh, Russians in these invasions uh, um, uh, could be escaped sure. by the uh, Russian government, which could say, well, this is not us. Uh, you know, we're not doing this. Uh-huh. Uh, we're not responsible for it. Uh, and therefore, there was no uh, political cost here. That is, not only could they escape international responsibility, uh, violating international law, but they could escape the uh, political fallout from uh, things going wrong when the the uh, Wagner Group did something horrible, <laughs> and so on. So, uh, like like uh, Blackwater, um, you know, hiding uh, U.S. war crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, uh, the uh, Wagner Group could could hide uh, Russian uh, war crimes and and intervention uh, in many countries. How convenient, and. You know, at least in theory, the rules rules of war. And what about those serving in the Wagner Group? As you point out, they exist in a legal vacuum. Right. Tell us about that. What does that mean? Right. Well, um, there's a a commander or 
a former uh, commander of the Wagner Group named uh, Marat Gabadulin, uh, who uh, has published a new book on on the Wagner Group, uh, and um, uh, he recalled that um, um, when he worked for for uh, Wagner, um, a a a, um, uh, a Russian uh, contract employee. Uh, was on his own uh, because his, his job didn't have any official existence. Uh, with the company uh, not registered in Russia or anywhere, uh, uh, such a person existed uh, in what uh, Gabadolin called uh, a legal vacuum. And that also meant that their soldiers were relieved of any consequences uh, for their, their behavior for a, a person who doesn't exist uh, can do anything. Uh, so... Um, uh, they could uh, do uh, pretty much uh, what they wanted to do and escape responsibility since they didn't exist. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so um, uh, they could do uh, terrible things and uh, uh, violate human rights uh, with impunity. I- I'm reminded of uh, pets at home who may have gotten into some food and they look like, no, I didn't do it. No, no, it wasn't right. me. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah, except this is a little bit more serious than that. And Syria, you know, that's mm-hmm. not in the headlines at all anymore. But Russia has long been supportive of the Assad regime in Syria. And there have been all kinds of accusations of war crimes back and forth. Tell us about the what is known about the Wagner's group's role in in Syria in supporting the Assad regime. There have been accusations of poison gas being used. I I don't know what is the Wagner's group in uh, in Syria and what is Russia's aim in Syria? They just want to have Syria in its orbit. What's the deal? Uh, well, apparently yes, uh, <laughs> and and they've done that very effectively. That is, uh, at a, at a time when the Assad uh, regime seemed to be uh, close to, to uh, toppling by a, a revolt, an, an internal uh, right. uh, revolution uh, against the uh, Assad dictatorship, um, uh, the Russians decided uh, that this would be a good time to uh, uh, bail out Assad. Assad wanted them to do so, of course. And so they, they uh, dispatched their, their air force to, to carry out just the kind of of operations they're they're uh, carrying out uh, today in Ukraine that is bombing the opposition centers uh, to rubble, but on the ground they could use and did use uh, Wagner Group uh, forces in to to uh, bolster the uh, Syrian government's armed forces. So uh, the uh, Wagner Group soldiers, for example, uh, fighting to maintain the uh, Assad dictatorship, were even filmed laughing as they used a, a sledgehammer uh, to break the bones of a, a Syrian army deserter uh, before dismembering his body and uh, cutting off his head. Um, my article has a link to a horrifying video uh, taken of this torture, uh, taken by the Wagner Group's men, I believe, uh, who were laughing at it and thought this was great fun. Um, and uh, exhibiting their their uh, prowess for for uh, terrorizing uh, Syrians who refused to 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 serve in the uh, Assad government's army. Mm. And somehow, psychologists should be able to. I would think it would be a heck of a project to figure out what it is. 
why young men in war so often, I mean, it's not common, but so often laugh at this incredible cruelty. I mean, that's some kind of bizarre sickness that, uh, I don't know, they just, it it happens. And, And I think, you know, being in this situation must enable them to think, well, this is okay, and I can do any inhuman thing I want to do. How bizarre. Ah, oh, it's so great to be human, isn't it? Huh. This, you mentioned the Central African Republic. I don't know anything about any war there. I'm assuming that probably used to be French West Africa. I don't know. But what have UN investigators found out about the Wagner Group in the Central African Republic? Yeah, uh, they reported that the uh, Wagner Group's forces tortured, raped, and murdered uh, civilians, uh, forcibly uh, recruited child soldiers in the uh, Central African Republic, and engaged in widespread looting. That is another payoff beyond beyond oh, very good sure. wages. They could also loot, and, and of course, that's not unknown for uh, soldiers of the of the past. That is one of the uh, spoils of war would be uh, looting the the enemy's uh, territory, uh, raping its women, and and so on. And they've done uh, plenty of that. Mm. And again, this is all hidden uh, for the most part. Uh, It's not advertised. um, And uh, certainly uh, the Russian government doesn't advertise it. So uh, investigations uh, uh, have taken place, though, and these are often uh, by the UN, by uh, Human Rights Watch or other groups, and uh, they've discovered these these terrible uh, violations of uh, human rights. And as I mentioned, there's a, uh, a very powerful story uh, by the Daily Beast on uh, recent uh, things that have been going on there along these lines. The, the Central African Republic, and uh, as time goes on these next few years, I can't help but think that Africa is going to be more and more and more in the news. China's got a big influence there as well. Uh, unfortunately, Trump called them uh, rather an insulting name, so we're missing yeah. out on the opportunity to exploit their resources. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but Russia and China are right there. Then, of course, there's Libya. Libya has been a terrible mess since Gaddafi was ousted a few years ago. Uh, there was no plan for what was to take its place. And our former Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, was very much involved in that, creating that mess. That's another story. What, what has Human Rights Watch found in Libya as a result of the Wagner Group? Well, uh, in Libya, uh, Wagner's mercenaries uh, reportedly uh, booby-trapped uh, civilian homes with explosives uh, attached to, to toilet seats and uh, teddy bears that is designed to uh, terrorize the, the uh, civilian population. Uh, according to uh, Human Rights Watch, uh, between 800 and uh, 1,200 uh, Wagner Group operatives in that country uh, working to install a friendly warlord in, in power uh, planted anti-personnel uh, mo- uh, landmines in the suburbs of Tripoli that killed or maimed large numbers mm. of civilians. Uh, so they've been very active there. Um, they're, um, they have not been uh, successful there, but they, they caused uh, plenty of, of uh, horror for the, the uh, Libyans. Yeah, I, 
terrorize other people. I don't think that's in the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I, I, right. I, I, that, uh, whatever. I suppose terrorism can work, but I, I, I don't see it uh, gathering a lot of you know deep friendships and commitment to fighting right. for, for, for that cause. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking with Dr. Lawrence Whitner about uh, the Wagner Group, just the latest example of a privatized war. And many of us have at least heard of Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. What you reveal, he said on Italian TV about Russian activities in Mali, is pretty impressive. Tell us about that, please, and the significance of his statement that they are legitimate security services. Prime Minister uh, Lavrov, Foreign Minister. Right, right. Well, uh, the the uh, Wagner Group's uh, mercenaries have been uh, particularly involved in uh, Mali, there uh, where the ruling uh, military junta uh, employed them uh, to fight rebels. Uh, the uh, Wagner Group's uh, mercenaries uh, swooped down in helicopters on a crowded marketplace in Mura, uh, Mali, in uh, late March 2022 and in uh, command of the junta's uh, soldiers, uh, seized large numbers of uh, civilians. Over the next five days, uh, they looted houses, held uh, villagers captive, and executed large masses of of them. Uh, According to the New York Times, uh, the Russians, quote, uh, marauded through the town, indiscriminately uh, killing people in houses, stealing jewelry, and confiscating cell phones to eliminate any visual evidence. Uh, witnesses and analysts said that by uh, conservative estimates, um, uh, the death toll in Mora alone uh, was between 300 and 400 people, uh, uh, mostly uh, civilians. Now, uh, responding to uh, questions about the massacre, uh, Prigozhin, Wagner's uh, uh, manager, uh, praised Mali's uh, current leader, its military, and its actions in Mora. But he denied the the presence of Wagner operatives uh, in Mali, and he declared it a legend uh, that the Wagner group even existed. But uh, Russian uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov uh, remarked uh, in in May uh, uh, that the Wagner group was indeed present in Mali, as he said, quote, on a commercial basis uh, providing security services. Uh, So, um, you know, uh, uh, sometimes the Russians get their wires crossed, and uh, you know one denies it, uh, and the other admits it. In this case, the the uh, Russian foreign minister admitted it, although he didn't admit the massacre. Mm. Plausible deniability still there, right? Well, what right. what the question is, you know, what can the world do? It's so much easier to not see this stuff, you know, just to keep on going. I don't want to see it. The reality is, it is going on, and it's it's you know shoved in our faces every day. At least in Ukraine, maybe not so much in Africa. The media doesn't seem to pay as much attention there. But you write, like the problem of war in general, the problem of mercenary operations seems unlikely to be solved without a substantial strengthening of international security institutions, among them the United Nations. The United Nations was created to be an effective means to preventing future wars. Let me ask you the question you ask 
at the end of your article, are the nations of the world willing to take this step to, to beef up the United Nations, which doesn't seem to be doing much? Uh, what role could the United Nations play in dealing with both regular war and war via mercenaries? Well, as, as we know, uh, the United Nations was established in 1945 to uh, bring an end to the scourge of war. That yes. Quotations from the uh, UN uh, Charter um, signed by, by all the world's nations, uh, including Russia and the United States and, and uh, so on. Uh, and unfortunately, although the United Nations does many useful things, and often uh, uh, speaks out for uh, humane causes, uh, denounces, for example, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, denounces use of, of, of mercenaries and so on, um, um, uh, it, it, uh, supposedly uh, backs the uh, Geneva uh, Convention, uh, conventions that ban the use of mercenaries in 1989, mm. uh, um, passed a, a mercenary uh, convention, uh, mercenary or anti-mercenary uh, mm -hmm. law that bans the use of mercenaries. Uh, the reality is uh, the UN doesn't have the strength to enforce its uh, humane uh, proclamations, its international law. Uh, and therefore, the, the real uh, questions uh, confronting or question uh, confronting the world is, uh, are the nations of the world willing to give the United Nations the power, the, mm. the strength, the authority to enforce all these humane regulations and make them real? Uh, if the United States were given this power, if it were um, uh, transformed into an effective um, uh, global uh, federation of nations rather than a, a uh, weak a voice for mm -hmm. the world mm -hmm. that can't enforce its its uh, humane uh, proclamations and its humane international law. Uh, it, it can't do these things. Well, uh, uh, we're not going to get very far. And I'm afraid that's the situation we're in now. Uh, we live in a, a situation of, of, of international anarchy, where we can look on mm. at aggressive war in Ukraine or at... Uh, 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 terrible uh, mercenary operations from uh, Blackwater or the Wagner Group, and and say, oh, those are are, are terrible. But the the one body that that speaks for the world can enforce world law, and it seems to me that it's that it's time to to uh, build up the United Nations as a force that that can um, uh, enforce world law. It's all very well, perhaps, as the United States to to uh, intervene to uh, try to uh, prevent a Russian takeover of Ukraine, but that doesn't take us very far, and it continues this state of world anarchy. Uh, the fact is, we have to move beyond individual nation states doing what they want or uh, subcontracting out um, operations. Uh, through uh, private uh, corporations, and we need international law enforced by the United Nations. Well, that's a subject close to my heart, uh, nationalism. You know, we are, you know, it's one world now. It really is, and, and the whole climate 
crisis is uh, you know, showing that we need to all be working together, but we don't do it. But pressure could come from people. It's just that you know, we, we have to see it first. We have to be aware of it first, and we'd so much rather not look at this stuff. And, you know, I wonder if you were to ask the average person in the street, are you willing to accept international anarchy? I don't know. Probably a lot of people would say, well, if we keep the price of gas down, sure, what the heck? <laughs> but uh, it, there there are better ways. And, you know, a lot of us would like the United Nations to be real, to to actually do what uh, it was intended to do. And maybe, maybe if enough people speak up and, you know, people forget that, that we do have power. We are not powerless. The people, as, as you say, political pressure. Yeah, that does count. It really makes a difference. Well, this has been very, uh, not exactly uplifting, but uh, in, <laughs> informative today. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, maybe, uh, you know, by, by spreading the word, we can uh, make, uh, help people become more aware of it and, and, and speak up and, uh, you know, put some pressure on uh, our leaders to, uh, to do something about strengthening the United Nations. Boy, the right wing has been against the United Nations forever. Uh, the right wing recognizes that all sorts of things that they, uh, they like would uh, uh, be in, 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 in question. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they like to wage wars whenever they, they want to wage war. Uh, they like to uh, uh, intervene in, in foreign lands. They like to uh, set up uh, corporations that are not accountable right. to anybody. Uh, they, they, they like to, to hoard uh, vaccines and, and use them only uh, when they want to use them or to the highest bidder and, mm. and so on. So uh, it's too bad if they don't they don't like those things. In my view, uh, uh, the the uh, public good uh, uh, should be the the goal, not not uh, private profit or not uh, national interest or supposed national interest. Amen to that. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Lawrence Whitner, on uh, keeping democracy alive. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Bert. Oh, hey. 